Lorena Junco Margani, and I'm so excited for this journey. We decided to launch this podcast to share my story with the hope that you could connect the dots of your life and truly be on your way. On My Way, Lorena is joined by Gilbert Duabonye, beloved role model, coach, and survivor of one of the worst genocides in modern history. In 1993, as a high school junior, Gilbert escaped a terrible massacre in the Long Tutsi Hutu War of Burundi, where he endured extreme torture, witnessed mass murder, and barely escaped his own death. Listen in as he talks to Lorena about this unimaginable hardship and how faith, family, and running became the pillars upon which he built his inspiring new life in the United States. Now to today's episode. Welcome, Gilbert. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I've been looking forward. This is a very, very special moment. We're both immigrants. We both went through the learning curves of a new country. That alone, it takes bravery, courage, and saying I need help. For me, at the beginning, that was very hard because I was very protective about my ways. And then I understood that I can be both. I can still be Mexican and I can be a proud American. I would love, first of all, if you can tell us where you're from and what brought you to Austin. My name is Gilbert Tuhabonye, and um, I am from Burundi. Burundi is a small country in East Africa. It's surrounded by North Rwanda, East, South uh, Tanzania, and West Republic of Congo, Zaire. Growing up in Burundi was very hard. Um, I used to get up every morning to go fetch water for my family. And school was six miles away. And then I would run, walk to school every single day. And uh, life was challenging. We didn't have water again and electricity in the house. You can imagine a house with no water and electricity, what life would be. When I was in the middle school, again, we saw like here, in this country, the parents or the parents decide what to send the kids. For me, I passed a national test, and based on the grades, you were sent to a school where your parents don't have any control. I was separated by with my parents at a young age. Went to a boarding school when I learned how to be a man and learn how to make friends. Seventh grade, and it was life changing for me. Then, 1993, October the 21st, that day I thought I was going to be a normal boy, play with my friends. It turned out the president was killed by opposition. And then in the act of retaliation, we have two major tribes, Hutus and Tutsis, and uh, the president who was killed was a Hutu. And the people that supported him want revenge. They came to my school and put every student Tutsis they could find, including myself. I spent eight hours in burning building, and luckily I escaped. When I escaped, 
spent too many, uh, two months in the hospital, praying to God, trying to heal emotionally and physically. And when I was able to run again, I received scholarship to come to America to represent the country in the Olympics. Then um, went to Abilene Christian University, got a degree and moved to Austin. And Austin has been a great place for me since 2001. That's amazing. I, I consider myself very lucky. I have heard of you through many different avenues. You're quite a rock star. You're a very well-known man. What I love is that everyone is smiling when he says, you met Gilbert? You have impacted so many kids in such a positive way. You have brought people out of the darkness. And I think that's one of your gifts. I was asking friends, and you're known for being strict and consistent, and consistency brings the beauty, and I love that. But to get to that beauty, I would like to understand how were you able to recover? I mean, when you're a kid, there's angry people, there's machetes, there's fire, there's spears, stones. How were you able to understand that you were truly in danger and this was not just like a, a local thing? Because from when I read your book, I noticed the poor communication. So every everything was very, like you felt it, right? You were very attuned to the signals. And what what do you think made you escape, first of all? It was a very strange moment. First of all, I couldn't sleep the night before. Uh, something was telling me, You know, I'm in the danger, I'm away from my family, but I couldn't tell you what it was. And um, went to class a, that morning of the 21st, October 21st, 93, a student, a friend of mine who we ran together in relays, he happened to be home and I look over the window, he showed me a machete that he was going to cut my throat. And I didn't believe it for Second, because I was like, there's no way. You're my friend. So you were friends with Hulus. That's yeah. what, so they didn't know better or what, what do you, who do you think gave them that instruction? I think I still don't know and I don't want to find out yeah. um, because that's not my job to find out because I moved on. Mm -hmm. I moved on, but I believe there was someone in charge telling them what to do because those were students, my, my, my ages. So... When he said he was going to cut my throat, I really didn't know what to do. Then we went to ask the headmaster because people started coming to our school. Students being divided. Hutu in one position, Tutsis is in one position. We went to ask the headmaster. I went to ask the headmaster. I said, what is going on? What do you have to protect us? Because these people are getting violent, are attacking students. What are you going to do? And he just looked my eyes straight. You are going to see what Jesus saw on the cross. On the cross. I was like, oh my gosh. Does it mean it's going to crucify me? I moved on and told my student, I'm shocked. I'm being deceived by... Head of school. Head of the school. And keep in mind, when you send your kids to a boarding school, the headmaster is a mom, it's a dad for everyone. Authority. Yes. That really shocked me. And I didn't know what to do. So we had a little meeting with the leaders and 
some of the profess the, the the teacher and some of the students we decided to walk get away from the enemy because it was dangerous space and from what i understand and everyone listening out there please make sure to buy your book today gilbert's book is this voice in my heart you can find it in amazon it is truly a beautiful book with very deep sentiments and most importantly is a way to forgive and move forward. And I'm a big advocate on you cannot control what the forgiven does because forgiveness is for you. It's just a way to be at peace with what happened and move on. Correct? Correct. I love that. I love that because I moved on. Anyway, I knew I was in a danger because if my headmaster is not protecting me, my, my best friend says it's going to cut my throat, what else should I have done? It was time to get away. But you know what? We cannot run and hide. The speed we think we have, we give this by God. And so we're trying to, I'm trying to escape. I was the fastest kids in the country. Yes. Guess what? I was the first person to get brought us to, to get captured. Because everywhere I ran, the headmaster gave everybody a, an instruction. You have to get Gilbert. If we don't get Gilbert... He's going to run away, he's going to get the army, and the army will come. We will not be able to accomplish our mission, which was to burn every student and teacher. So they brought me back in front of him, and he locked me in the building. He said I had a special torture. Then the mob got really angry and decided to come guard me at the house, and they robbed me. We were robbed in a death march. I was pulling 22 kids stripped naked to a house that they're going to burn alive. Where do you think that anger came from? It's just inhumane. Were they feeding hatred consistently? Because it, it seems like such a shift of playing ball with a friend through suddenly being your enemy. Did you tell him, hey, I'm your friend? Or was it such a quick thing that there was not even words? There was not even words because I was shocked. I, I grew up in a house where... My parents taught us how to love one another. It didn't matter who, you know, your color, your big, your, your size, your nose. It was love every human being. So really, when the thing happened, I was in shock. How in the world the people that were my friend can turn against me? I, I was just still in disbelief. So tell me, and please let me know when if I put you in an uncomfortable situation. When they started torturing you what state of mind did you have how did you survive so they roped us in a, in a death march uh one rope uh, going to a house that going to burn us alive they uh, when we walk into to the burning building from the school it was one mile away and i remember a, a voice came to my my head and the voice was very clear not son nothing will happen to you don't do Anything stupid, just calm. And so I stay calm. And we we got a, in front of the building. I was with this kid. His dad was general in the army. He thought his dad would fly in and save him. And they chop him into pieces, which is, for me, it was the worst moment in my life to witness someone get killed in my eyes as a young boy. And with a fear, and I don't know what, what happened, I jumped into the building. And also, I would tell all the young young listeners up there, 
whenever you can, trying to do sports, it helped me. I was always, I was in drumming team. My arms were very strong. I was also doing the push-ups. My arms were very strong. So doing those rope when I was pulling the people was easy. And they hit me on the chest and I cut blood for a couple of weeks and then I was, I was okay. As soon as I get in the building, I was pretty much maybe one of the strongest men because everybody else was paralyzed. They couldn't talk half dead with emotions and also they've been tired. Some of these people were in the, in the building since the, the morning and I got there at 6 p.m. And as soon as I got there, they liked the building. I witnessed my friends dying so one sorry. by one. As I'm watching my friend, I was waiting for my turn, but the voice was very strong. Some of you have seen, I have scars on my arm, I have scars on my back. I was trying to protect my head. I was trying to cover my body with, uh, you know, dead bodies and because the fire was coming from the roof. After eight hours, I really burned me my back and I couldn't take anymore. And the voice was very strong. So I took uh, someone, a dead body, and I broke the little window. And But I was worried if I jumped outside the building, they would capture me and they would kill me. I was worried, so I threw this girl outside, and like with my shit, trying to kill her, and I was terrified to jump. And you were also burnt in your leg, correct? Oh yes, my legs. This is a new body. I lost thirty percent of my body. Wow. And um, as I jump outside, I was like, my, you know, grandmas who never been to school, but they were so smart. She's like, if your head can fit through something, your whole body can fit. Can you imagine that? Wow. And so I grabbed the bar. I threw my leg out. I was like, if they chop my legs, at least I would have a face. I wish I'd be able to see and testify. That was the only reason to get out. But God, it was with me. I jump. And when I jump outside, they didn't see me. Wow. To, up to today, to me, that's a miracle. It is a miracle. Um, and you had a bigger story to tell. You were able to witness the atrocity, process the atrocity, and then bring a voice to it. And sadly, that division still exists in the world. And I think it's very important to you, our listeners, there is a better way. Division doesn't take you anywhere. It is a moment for us to be united, to bring the best in us. And don't go to violence, don't go to hatred. There are better ways. So, Gilbert, continuing with your story, you're deeply injured. You were taken to a hospital, correct? I took myself to a hospital because. You took yourself. Yeah. Right? So, what happened was I was badly injured. I could barely walk, could barely put one leg in front of the other because it was, it was so tough. But I had to get to the hospital. The idea was if I get to the hospital, I might break in and get the medicine and heal the wounds, I didn't know I would, need, I would have help. I didn't know when and where I'm going to get help. The only, how far was the hospital? The hospital was uh, maybe half mile, but it was uh, guided and surrounding. The, the path leading to the hospital was dangerous. It was still occupied by the bad people. It was still occupied by these people that were transporting the student from the school to a burning place. And I recall from you, your book, you described being from an agriculture family, 
cows, a very peaceful environment. So your nature was not violent. No. And uh, to set the record straight, I was seven hours away from my home. This is not a close to my family. This, my family didn't know what happened. And so, you know, it took me almost two hours, maybe three hours, because I left at the, I left the 3 a.m. in the morning. That's where I escaped. I got away from the hospital. They were chasing me. I, I ran enemy. I was able to run past the enemy. But it was dangerous. I heard them saying, you know, he's going to the area. We're going to catch him tomorrow. Don't worry. Let's go back. So that gave me a chance to survive because that gave me a chance to rethink my routes. Because otherwise, they were going to find me. So I had to turn around to go going behind the mountain. It took me almost three hours. Five o'clock in the morning, I reached out the hospital. But I, I, I end up in a place where... You know, where these men would go kill, but the women would stay home. And then when they, when they heard that the soldiers come in, the men went to guide the women, the, the, the whole family, leave the home, and go in woods, and, and they would be able to help their families. As I'm walking towards to the hospital, I landed in that group. And there was a man who was a part of the group that was guiding the building, making sure nobody escapes. He said, I knew this kid. He escaped from us. And I said, no, 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 you, you are confused. They let me go. There was no way to justify how I'm burned, how I am outside. This guy saw me. I know who he is. I have to lie. I said, listen, they let me go. There was a mistake. I am a Hutu. My dad is a Hutu. And my mom is a Tutsi. So they let me go. For the first time, I saw something weird and crazy that, that was happening in Nazis. They started measuring my forehead. i never seen anything like that. They measure my nose. How come? The, in Burundi, Tutsi are considered tall, uh, pointy nose, skinny, on cows from certain areas. And Tutsis will have a flat nose. And that was, that was a description from during the colonial time. And so you can have a Tutsi who has a pointing nose. You can have a Hutu who has a... I mean, uh, yeah, the country. Uh, yeah, on the country. So those are the where they the Belgium used that to conquer, divide the people so you can penetrate, find a way to divide the people so you can penetrate. That was the method to uh, colonize Burundi, and so people still believe in that. But I saw them measuring my forehead. They look my hands, trying to see the lines. I don't know what they were looking for. They're like, it's a Tutsi, let's crucify him. Plus, you were all injured. Oh, yeah, I couldn't move. And then there was this woman. She said, I know this kid. Let him go. She just wanted to protect me. She gave me a jacket, but there was no way to put a jacket. I was naked. And then she said, let's have, can you drink water, kid? I couldn't drink it. I, I thought it was going to poison me. I didn't want to take it. I didn't trust anybody. Yeah. And um, the man went to, uh, to chop words to crucify me. The woman said, son, go. There's a bunch of kids, mentally women, girls that have been beating, they've been, they broke their legs, go in the hospital. I was going there anyway. And as I'm about to cross the street, there was men guiding the street. I saw them, I'm running tippy toes, I'm naked, no clothes. And because it hurt, 
and I end up in the maternity room. I was like, you know what? If these people, even if they don't have heart, they're not going to, they're not going to maternity room. Sure enough, I went and hid in the maternity room. They came looking for me. They're like, that was the devil. Let's move on. That gave me a chance to leave. Then sooner or later, boom, I heard the um, the guns. The soldiers are trying to disperse the people. They came to help the student. And I heard from a hidden room, the soldiers, one the soldier was like, what happened to the athletes? Anybody know or anybody have any information what happened to the athletes? I was well known in the country. And this girl said, he was the first person to enter the building. He's dead. And I heard that. When I heard that, I came up the window. I'm running towards him. But I was like, maybe he wants to kill me. I didn't know who he was. If you could trust him. Yeah. Uh, and finally, he hugged me. He dropped his gun. He knew who I was. He stopped even fighting the enemy. He's like, you, we got to go. I'm going to take you in the, the big truck, the RV. It's like, you stay here. From that, I was so thirsty. I have not eaten for the 24 hours. Sleep deprived, totally injured, oh, dehydrated, bad shit. everything. Yes. And I, broken heart. Yes, I was in all the above. They took us to the end of the hospital, army hospital, where I spent almost two weeks. That's when my parents, my brother, found out that I was still alive. Because the news... It's not like this, mm -hmm. this time where we have a cell phone, we have a computer, we have a TV, none of those. And I, my brother found out that I was alive, told my mom that I'm still alive. They drove, uh, come to Gamit from the hospital. And I remember being in, when I reached in the hospital, my mother was so terrified. She didn't know what to do. Never seen anybody burning fire. Didn't know how bad I was. She's coming in in the building. I'm all bandaged everywhere except my hands. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen a survivor. Never. You, oh, they talk with no stop. They thought something was wrong with my head. And I, and I remember, Mom, I'm so strong. Come here. I want to hug you. But you would just, you know, to make her feel good. I was in bad shape. Uh, she was so worried. And then we hugged. And as soon as we hugged, she said, Son, we have forgotten you but God brought us to life. You are really a son of God. That's what's my last name, Tuhabonya means son of God. Oh, wow. I, it's really come to a conclusion. We hugged and uh, she didn't want to leave me. Uh, she stayed next to the bed and it, it was incredible. Hola, hola. Thank you, my friends. Thank you for having the time to read my book on the way to Casa Lotus, but especially thank you for having the time to listen, to listen with an open heart and open ears. I don't take this for granted. Every second you give me is a gift for me. I get better and better and I work the muscle of forgiveness. I work actually all the muscles of gratitude, even of sadness. I'm willing to sit with emotions and project myself through you and my interviewing friend, where I can really say, how can I apply this to my life and how can I be a better person? I hope my story is helping you. Is it? I would love listening to your story. Reach out. It's easy. Info at lorenajuncomargain.com. Tell me your story. We're a click away. 
that's part of the silver linings COVID has brought. So stay with me. Tell me what you think about this amazing episode. Un beso. Thank you. How did you deal with anger? It was a really tough. When I was in a hospital, I spent three months in, in trying to heal emotionally. Did you have a special guidance or you just found silence or what were your tools or your vision of how to get better? Because it's severe what you witnessed, as you said, as in the Holocaust, it, it takes people not only, they don't need to be violent, they can turn the other way. And that is very helpful because turning the other way is basically letting people kill. So I think there are many layers to forgiveness and many layers of anger. One is physical, the other one is emotional, your spirit. So physical, that can be in a hospital. Recovery, from what I read in your book, you are a pretty amazing man. You started running even when you shouldn't. <laughs> yes. I remember, I, I smiled when I read that. I'm like, okay, that's the spirit that <laughs> saved him. <laughs> And, uh, and I love the joy you have because you have every reason to have lost it. What made you not lose it? It was very hard. I trying to find a closure for me. I was trying to understand how in a world that really people were my friends that turned against me. I couldn't put together. I mean, I was not even doing politics. And so I, tried, I read the Bible, trying to find a closure trying to understand. The Bible gave me an answer. That was not enough. Because these people, to give you a perspective, my school was a Christian school mm -hmm. that people go to church every single day. Saturday was packed with pastor. And tell me in the words how a school like that, that is a Christian, you can experience the worst. And nobody in the church come and stop this violence. To me, there was a lot of unanswered question, And I was like, you know what? It's not me to ask those questions. And then during that time, people would go to church with machete in a jacket. What kind, of, what kind of Christian are you? Correct. I was at the ones that, did, that really didn't want to go to church because everybody that walked around the Bible, I was that's really hypocrites. Yes. Because if, if Burundi was so... Was, um, At that time, if my numbers are correct, most 70% were Catholic. If it's a Christian country, I can, where in the Bible says you should kill your enemy? I mean, you should kill your friends, your neighbor? Not anywhere. So I was, I didn't trust anyone. I didn't trust, um, I needed to find myself. I didn't go to church for a while. And I started running. Running really helped me a lot. Two days before I check out the hospital, I received a note. I was still, my leg was still bent. I could not stretch it out. You describe it in, and to our listeners, he describes it like a gnarled tree. And if you can imagine those knots and those turns and twists, imagine Gilbert's leg was completely deformed in completely bad shape. And you kept running. Yeah, it took a while because I, a friend of mine came to see me in my hospital. I lied to him. I said, the doctor wants to talk to you. <laughs> But leave the bicycle here. Because 
I wanted a way to stretch it out. I didn't care. What got me uh, the hope was a letter inviting me to run on a full scholarship in America. And when I was a young boy, I wanted to be here in this country. How old were you? At that time? Mm -hmm. In 93? Mm -hmm. I was close to be 19. Yeah. So if there is someone out there, believe I can do it. It was a Tulane University inviting me in a full scholarship. I was like, wait a minute. Someone believes I can do it? There's light at the end of the tunnel. That's right. It gave, it gave me a hope that if I, maybe if I try, I will be able to reach my goal. That, that was original goal to, before the accident. I started jogging. I started doing a therapy. 1994, I started jogging. And 95, I was back to not where I was. Started competing. I went to Japan to represent Burundi, the university, in a world game, uh, Fukuoka, Japan. And I went back. 96, the country sent me to Lagrange, Georgia, the, during the Olympics. Wow. And then I stayed. And in the book, I read about one of your girlfriends. She's the one that gave you the Bible. Is that correct? She's my wife now. Can you believe it, everyone? So... While Gilbert was in the hospital, this girl comes with a little green Bible, puts it in his hand, and she didn't know it, but she was putting in Gilbert's hand, his future wife. And I think that without her, many things would have changed because she was your pillar. And she was, um, even if Gilbert was gone in the United States, she waited. Is that right? She waited. We stayed in contact and we, uh, it was very rough. Because it's not these days like Instagram or Facebook, none of those. <laughs> it's a thing about an early uh, 90s, internet was not strong. So it was very hard, but we stayed, you know, uh, together. We stayed in contact, prayed together. One day she would join me, and uh, here she is. We have uh, two beautiful girls, uh, Emma, who's in college, a junior. Wow. And then I have a uh, sophomore, Grace. That's beautiful. And another thing I would like sharing to our listeners is Gilbert is definitely a very godly person. He just has this magnetic energy where you're a healer. You are a healer and you have healed many adolescent kids going through troublesome times through alcoholism, through re uh, reveling rebellious Re rebellious kids and i think that your consistency and the structure have made them thrive one of them being jenna bush is that right <laughs> so this is gilbert he just goes big and then president bush did a beautiful portrait of gilbert and i would invite everyone to buy that book i will put it in the link it's a portrait of different heroes and Gilbert is one of them. So for me, it, it is like a balm knowing that your story is being heard. We see that and we have no excuses to not do anything about it. How can we help? How can we help Burundi? Tell me about your mission with the Gazelle Foundation. When I first moved here, I thought about ways to give back to the community that uh, really needed a lot of things. Uh, it's a very poor country, and there were so many things I could do. 
I thought of myself going back to every single day fetching water six miles, two miles every morning before school and after school, you know, and the water we were drinking, it was dirty. I was in a position here in the United States to make a difference. Water, we started water. The Gazelle Foundation, the mission is to provide a clean water to the people, uh, regardless of uh, the tribal affiliation. And it's a reminder for us that we assume everyone has the right to clean water. We need to be with open heart and, and ears. That is not the situation. This is happening today. Yes. And we need Gilbert to help his people to get clean water because water is life. Yes, water is life. If you think about and and so to go to what we do is we don't provide water in the house. It's not also it's not also where wells. What we do is Burundi is a mountain. It's super beautiful. It's like Hawaii. A lot of trees, a lot of rivers. So it's, it rains a lot. It's like uh, below equators. What we do is we tap the mountain and we channel water using pipes, buried underground. And we provide to schools, hospitals, um, market. We don't put water in the house. And so it's been amazing to see the transformation of the villages. The reports that we get is incredible. Kids, they go to school, they're super hydrated, and they're following in a class. They're also not ex exhausted or tired because they used to fetch before and after. Now, the amount supposed to be spent on fetching water, they use the amount of water for sports, for study, for helping out in a house. Imagine uh, to our listeners a situation, Gilbert, while he went to the hospital, When your mother went to the hospital to have a baby, there was no water at the hospital. So Gilbert had to go fetch the water to help her mom with a bucket carried two hours. Is that right? That's the situation that was lived. So I'm very happy to hear that. Is that not the situation anymore? Oh, uh, so where I grew up, we've done one county. It's finished. Everyone Everyone in the county is finished. We have given more than 100,000 are getting clean, uh, clean water close to home. From my home to school was six miles. There was no water on the way. The, the school that I had, the elementary school that I attended didn't have any water. The hospital, the clinic that I took my mother when my mother was sick, they didn't have water. Now they have water, they have water in the school. Along the way, every mile, Uh, maybe every kilometers there is a, a water along the way. I was super dehydrated going to school. Kids are not dehydrated. They also wear nice clothes because they they, have, they can um, they can wash clothes. Oh, that's true. Yeah, uh, they can wash the clothes. Women are the one fetching water. You do you imagine the disease that are associated with women carry too much climbing hills, mountains with a heavy container that what does for their back. Right now, they don't have to do that. And, and so there is a lot of to celebrate because people are happy uh, because they're getting clean water close to homes. It's just transformation of a village. Do you just go by zone? And like, you, how much more do you need to cover? Is there a lot more area? There's a lot more to, uh, to be done. To our listeners, please go to Gazelle Foundation. And there you can see different ways you can help out. 
Remember, water is life. We need to help our people in Burundi to give them that because dehydration, I mean, I've been dehydrated. Actually, that's one of the reasons that you end back in the hospital because you're dehydrated when you're not feeling well. I cannot even imagine being dehydrated always. All the time, yes. All the time. Um, and that decision-making process is not clear if you're de dehydrated. So you're talking about tired kids that should be putting their energy into education, into play, versus solving a problem that we we should all have the right to. So you can count on me. I'll be an advocate and I will help you solve hopefully a village. Thank you. My gosh, that's awesome. That's awesome, listener. See, it started by one person and that's how we started. We built one project. Now we are almost uh, more than 50 projects, which is, you know, 100,000 people getting a clean water. It's a big deal. Think about someone who almost lost my life. And the people that I'm helping, they're among the people trying to kill me. There's a message. Totally. There's a, a very powerful one. Yes. It's because I chose the forgiveness. It's restorative, right? Correct. To give back even to the person that you were menaced by. It is what you're doing is tremendously heroic. I want to say what I'm doing. What I would say the community of Austin has embraced what the Gazeta Foundation, because simply the result is there. You can see it. You can see the transformation. It's tangible. Yes, you can measure. Yes. And apart from the Gazelle Foundation, you're the most popular coach in town. <laughs> Everyone loves Gilbert. He's a coach at St. Andrews. Is that right? Correct. His play in the health of our kids has been tremendous. He, he is a very, your story is so aspirational and knowing that hardships can turn into good things. So I applaud it and I thank the Gilberts in the world. I'm very blessed to have you at my home. I'm very blessed. I cried so much with your book. I felt your pain, letting go of your lo loved ones, losing your father. I cannot even imagine what you went through, but I can see a way forward and please know that we can hold hands, we can be together and we can push forward and make, continue making this a better world and definitely one of healing and water is healing. So thank you, Gilbert. And to all our listeners, this has been my highlight. Thank you. No, thank you for, let me tell the story to what I call new audience, because I would like to thank uh, Danielle uh, Sweeney for introducing us, yes. uh, because I didn't know about the great things you're doing. I applaud you for moving on. We had a similar situation. We went through hell. We were wronged. <laughs> yes. And we arise. We um, be able to move on. It's been a powerful and inspirational to all of uh, people thank here you. and afar. Thank you. So I just want you to know. Yes. And it's very important that we remember that the answers are closer to what we think. I've learned to ask for help. Danielle being one of them, she, she knows my mission. She read the book and she's like, Lorena, I need to introduce you to Gilbert. So when you're thinking you have an idea, 
An idea is never too small if you share it with people. Use them as a sounding board and they have the answers. They're closer to you. Think big, be bold, follow your passion because I'm living it and that's how Gilbert ended in my heart. So I want to appreciate it. Thank you so much, Gilbert, for your time, your vulnerability, and your powerful story of forgiveness. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to On My Way with Lorena Hunko Magain. We'd like to invite you to send us your thoughts and any questions from this podcast by emailing Lorena at LorenaHuncoMargain.com. You can also reach out to us directly through our website by clicking the link in the show description of this podcast. Special thanks to executive producer Casey Helmick, studio engineer Joseph Olguin, audio and video editor Scott Caro. This podcast is a production of Terra Firma and recorded from the historic Arlen Studios in Austin, Texas. Thank you.